The wreck, the wrath, the woke, the waterfront, the wound, the weird, the worst, the weary, woven, woebegone, the wolf, the weak, the winter tides, the womb, the whale, the wastefulness, the westernizing, the weightiness, the warhorse, the whitewashing, the workaholic, the willow wear, the wicker work, the wordmonger, the walkabout, the wolverine. The weekend, the whimsical, withdrawn, the wayward, withered wrangler, the wondrous whiskey wizard, the welterweight Weisenheimer, the warm wind, the windowsill, the wooded wildebeest, the wildflowers, the whippoorwills, the wise, the winged, the woman, the wilderness, the werewolf, the wayfaring, the whatchamacallit the wanderer assuming you're here because you made it through episode one let me be the first to welcome you to the sequel to the rise of the dawn to part two to episode two now this one i think is really good i think both of us do when we finished, both uh, Dr. Gombas and myself were buzzing cousins. It's a great conversation. It goes a little deeper into theme, into narrative, into just a few songs and what it is that the band was trying to accomplish and how do we fit into it, at least the conversation of it. We talk about grief, about grace, about the grotesque. I don't know. I think it's pretty good. Hopefully, you will find it entertaining as well. I may have failed to mention this in the last episode. I don't know. If I did, forgive me. If not, here you go. We have made a Spotify playlist of the songs that we discuss. So if you want to listen along while you listen along, you can do so. I always appreciate listening to the music that's being discussed when I read a music biography. And so I thought it would be prudent to offer that music to you as well. I also thought that it might be prudent, or perhaps just fun, to create a trailer for this episode. So, without further ado, welcome to episode two of The Wanderer. In a world where vampires roam, they are going where no one has dared to go for honor for hope, for justice, they will fight. To keep us safe, you will believe in miracles. Together, they found the courage to take an unforgettable journey. They may never return. An all-new episode premieres tonight. Some things are beyond legend. So, dude, last couple of mornings I've been chewing on a bunch of different lines. I've had lines running through my head. Uh, songs in your head are now on my mind, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> and they've just been um, they've been turning over because they're so mystifying. Yeah. And um, I was trying to th- sort of find a unifying theme in 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 thinking through them, and I was thinking about how it is that in so many ways. I think that U2 has captured very well the grammar of the gospel, the logic of the gospel. Mm-hmm. And by that, I'm not talking about the gospel as like an entrance message. Here's how you get saved for spiritual right. laws or anything like that. I'm talking about um, like how the, like the, the character of how the, the whole reality of what God has done in the world sort of works. Yeah. And that grammar, that logic is so utter. Well, I, I don't think we've taken seriously enough what this means that God is holy. He is completely other. Like the logic of the gospel is so other than how you would put it together. Hmm. And so that it's really problematic that so many people, you know, understand quote unquote, the gospel that it's so easily understandable, which means to me <laughs> that like we have made it in our own image. Absolutely. And, 
it's other and it, it's it's so different. And so when we hear it and when we talk it, it it really should feel like unnatural and odd and and like un like what are we even talking about here? Yeah. Um, not that it has to be off putting, but it's it's this foreign thing. And I was thinking about that because I had a couple of different songs in my mind, uh, lines that have mystified me because they seem backward. Yeah, yeah. And um, and then I think it would be kind of fun to kick kick around like how there are so many other places in the YouTube body of work that kind of reflect that that reality, that dynamic, that sort yeah. of the, the dynamic that God is at work in the world. And there's this reality called grace hmm. that doesn't work according to um, any other kind of constructed grammar, any other yeah. kind of earthly constructed logic. And the one I'll just, I'll, I'll, the, the example that I want to start with is just from a song that I, I had it blasting this morning as before I, you know, I was cleaning up before I left home. And I don't think, I don't think our new kittens were happy that it was so loud in the house, but it, it, it doesn't matter. And that is um, California. Song yeah. off of Songs of Innocence, 2014. Yeah. Um, and there's like a, what's the sort of subtitle cover? for it? There's No End to Love. Yep. And what is so crazy to me is there's a, there's a purposeful grammar to that with some of my favorite grammatical elements. Right. Purpose statements. Right. Purpose, which is so, um, is so clarifying. But anyway, the, the way the song goes, um, you know, the, the character who's singing the song is obviously on the beach in Southern California on Zuma beach. And they've been out all night there and uh, the sun's coming up. And which is kind of interesting because it it doesn't move from verse one to verse two sunset to sunrise. Like the sunrise comes first. Yeah. Uh, So the sun is coming up and he's talking to this other person. Like you doubted that there were like the sun would never come up. Yeah. Yet it did. Like it always does. Yeah. And th- and that's the key line, actually, when you unfold the logic, the unfold the grammar. The sun comes up like it always does. Yeah. Then in the second verse, um, he he's talking to this person about, you know, everyone's a star in our town, except the light grows dimmer when you're, when you're in your bedroom, just sort of like w- wailing, you know, crying yeah. in the mirror. But then he, it, the scene moves to um, a sunset. Uh, this blood red sunset and you fall to your knees and there's no end to grief. Yeah. And it's, it's such, I mean, you know, you and I talking earlier about lament, it's like, I don't know. You think about your own personal struggles and how taxing this last year has been. And then just all that's going on in the world. And I mean, just no end to things coming apart in our culture. And it's like when I, when I was thinking about that line and the way he pauses over it, yeah. there's no end to grief. I mean, honestly, on my walk this morning, I was just choking up because it's yeah. so, it's so honest. But what the thing that just stuck in my mind and made the gears of my mind just kind of lurch a bit and just ask like, how and why? And is the next line is, that's how I know there's no end to love. And it's like, what? What are you talking about? How is it that there being no end to grief is how you know there's no end to love? Yeah, he actually, it's two lines, right? There's there's no end to, end to grief. That's how I know. That's how I know and why I need to know. Yes. There is no end to love. Oh, totally. Yes, that's so critical. It's a layered... That's- yeah, there's the, that's how I know and why I need to know. Yeah. And it's like, that just seems so backwards. Yeah. You know, and it's like, how, how, how does the endlessness of grief indicate to you that, that there's no end to love? And that's also why you need to know. Like, yeah. that, like this, you <laughs> have this piece of knowledge and assurance about the endlessness of love is what you need to endure the grief. Yeah. Cause it is, it hurts like hell and, and life hurts so bad. And what I love about, what I love about songs like this is that there is, um, and, and a lot of the other stuff that we can talk about, there is no sentimentality 
to you two. Like there's right. no, this is not a silver lining song. Yeah. Which is like, funny. Cause they do get that. They do get that label quite a bit, right? Of being this over, yeah. overly sentimental, overly sappy yeah. band, but you're right. Like this is not that at all. It's not denial of grief. It's not like, Hey, there's an upside. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> no, this sucks. It hurts. Grief is real. Yet there's there just is this other element at work in the universe. This and and the logic of the gospel that is this um, counterintuitive work of grace in the world, in or because of it, there's always the arrival of something more than grief. Mm-hmm. It, it, it that doesn't deny the grief. Right. It, it, there's just more than, you know, and. Um, Anyway, I just I love that song, especially because right when it comes to that part, there's no end to grief. I just the next lines just floor me. Yeah. Um, that's how I know, and because what I what floors me about that is it captures the many paradoxes of you two that grace actually works backwards. It works in this direction that you would never have constructed it. Yeah. Um, and just the endlessness of sunrise following sunset and the relentlessness of that is a reminder and an image and a picture and an instance really of, um, of grace always following grief. Grace is always sort of almost chasing after grief, not denying it, never saying, Hey, don't worry about that. Or sort of buck up little soldier. You'll be fine. It's like, no, this, this hurts. Um, but there's a greater reality at work, which I just thought was so cool. Yeah. So cool. And also something like that clear space for, and this is what I think is tragic about many, about much of Christian practice. It clears space for, um, both and like we can look fully into the face of tragedy and we can lament and we can also celebrate without having to choose one or the other. Like the fullness of how the world is beautiful and broken allows us in clear space and invites us into the reality to participate in the brokenness and the wonder of it. So it doesn't have to, it's not either or there's grief and there's love. Yeah. That's such a, oh man. Yeah. That's so good. That's been such a hard or not a hard, it's been a, something that I feel naturally drawn to, uh, that I have felt um, conflict with in my inherited culture, if that yeah. makes sense. Like oh, I, totally. That so when I was when I was studying for my master's in English, what I found to be the genre of literature that I loved the most was something called the grotesque, hmm. and it was like this marrying of something that is both beautiful and kind of broken or tarnished or kind of gross at the same time, and it creates this really. Yeah. So the most famous novel that deals with the grotesque, what that most kids read in high school was um, Winesburg, Ohio. Hmm. Uh, and it's like a collection of short stories, but they're all interconnected. They're all in the same town. And okay. so you'll have some characters that kind of pop in and out, but for the most part, uh, they're individual stories, but they're just in this town of Winesburg. And it's this grotesque of like the reality of brokenness often the reality of difference, which we often as humans have labeled as um, like diminished, like, you know, especially in a, in a white male culture, anyone mm-hmm. that's different than us is often labeled as less than. Yeah, totally. So that even becomes like, we kind of are given those glasses when we're born. Like, oh, Hey, big time. this oh, is, totally. you're going to see. And even if your parents or your, whoever around you is not like intentionally like, it's just built into the background. Oh yeah. And so you start to like be like, well, no, there's things that I've inherited that have been broken or whatever that are part of they're actually part of the beauty. They're not part of like this yeah. other thing. Totally. And I love that. Like it because the idea of grief, I mean, A, we are so conditioned to avoid grief and lament. Mm-hmm. And I mean, we could go for days just talking about how oh, our yeah. culture can't talk about death. Yeah. We have no relationship to death. And it's like, man, I hate to break to you, but that's the one thing we all share in common for sure. <laughs> like, yeah, <laughs> absolutely, man. So it's, I love that. the, And I'm curious how to get into the logic of the gospel. Is that how you framed it? Yeah. 
grammar, the gospel. The, I mean, because grammar and logic are really, you know, the sort of the same thing. I mean, like the operating dynamic of. Yeah, because when we last episode, I think I talked a little bit about like my love affair with words and um, just language and how fascinating language is and how oh, and yeah. I was just talking to you about um, teaching in a church this last weekend, which I don't know when this comes out, when that was, but uh, talking about like doing, doing like goofy grammar lessons to try to talk about how the importance of grammatical elements within a single sentence and how a yeah. comma can change the entire meaning of something. But also, you know, when we had talked about the great commission and words that words that are asking for an emphasis, but we've put emphasis on other words. Totally. And how dramatically that doesn't just change Jesus' statement, but it changes the entire context, well, technically of the gospel. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah, well, this is what we sentence. do with scriptures. We hijack the words and impose our own grammar on them. So yeah. they actually work differently. So it makes it, obviously it makes it, uh, inaccurate in the intent of that piece of scripture or the line, but it also like makes it one dimensional or less. Yeah. So that's what I was trying to, in a long way around coming back to this um, California song with that idea of this tumble cycle of grief and love and knowing one enables you to know the other. The idea of a sunrise and a sunset obviously is cyclical too. Yeah. And symbiotic in a certain way yeah and because i think that for me i've been trying to wrestle through what it means to be human and then on top of that what does it mean that god is invested and actually kind of like digs humanity because <laughs> it brings this conundrum with it so mm. god's invested in the conundrum to a certain extent like this human grotesque <laughs> yeah <laughs> for it yeah, totally. Well, I mean, we are the other. I mean, God is, it's not like we're the norm. I mean, God is, right. well, God is God, but we're all broken humans. But uh, yeah, we're all grotesque. Yeah. And I think that's cool. Yeah. Well, Jesus entered. This is the funny thing that people, well, not the funny thing. This is the terrible error that people fall into <laughs> in thinking about Jesus. He doesn't, he doesn't become incarnate as like a pre sin adam figure i mean right. he actually becomes the grotesque he enters into the condition of being of of, of all of humanity being othered and yeah. he becomes the other yeah you know dignifying all the kind of people that are that have been othered yeah you know and there's nobody that's sort of the standard you know yeah, these are complete idolatrous lies about our I, humanity i remember bono talking about the song one not to tangent us but just with on that topic he someone asked him about like trying to get a statement about um, like unity or equality and everyone kind of being one. And he was like, yeah, it's great to be one, but it's almost greater to it's, or it is greater to like love and respect people for their differences. Like yeah. just the varying shades of humanity and everything that brings to it. Like, yeah, to be one is a, is a, a cool goal, but yeah. if we can celebrate the differences, yeah. well, that's something far greater. Totally. Well, that's in the song. We're yeah. one, but we're yeah, not the same. Exactly. You know, and we, we get, we get to carry each other. Yeah. Which is a whole nother thing. We yeah, dude, that song, <laughs> man, that song unreal. Yeah. It's interesting. Um, I mean, we were talking before about the move from pop yeah. to all that you can't leave behind. So their 1997 album to the 2000 album. Was it 2000, 2001? I think it was 2000, wasn't it? Yeah, because 2001, September 11th. Yeah, that's when they were on, on tour. tour. Yeah. yeah. So what's interesting about that is, I mean, obviously pop, which is, I mean, yeah, work of genius, that whole album. I love it that it was so underproduced. Like it just is so raw. And I, I think yeah. it's perfect. I think I absolutely it. perfect. Yep. Um, but the last uh, Wake Up Dead Man is a lament. And what is awesome about that song is it is completely unvarnished and there's no sentiment in it whatsoever. It is just like, Jesus, where are you? What, yeah. what, and why didn't you stop it? Why didn't you stop that thing from happening? Yep. Um, it's, it's rough. And I think that there's, there's a portion of the song where I kind of wonder 
if there's a turn, but I'm not sure that there is. Like I, I think you can kind of go a bunch of different ways. That's a that's such a dramatic contrast with with um all that you can't leave behind. And the very next song that they release is Grace, which is the or, sorry, um uh, Beautiful Day, mm-hmm. which is the first song on that album and bookended by Grace, which is the final yeah. song. But what's interesting is that Beautiful Day is not either a sentimental song. It's not like, okay, we did the lament. Hey, it's a beautiful day. Mm-hmm. You know, that now now here's the positive one. I mean, the whole thing is reckon, recognizing, I mean, the way that the song goes, it is actually recognizing like, man, it's just rough. Like we're in this concrete jungle of a world. Yeah. And everything has conspired together to just stifle the life out of us and to suffocate us. Yeah. But yet there's something about humanity the heart is a bloom shoots up through the stony ground like you just imagine some concrete jungle yeah and some flower just the relentlessness of life yeah and you know the the song is sung from the perspective of somebody burned out by modern life you know stuck stuck in traffic Mm -hmm. just you know imagining sweltering heat and road rage i mean all these realities yet at the same time there's just more than that yeah you know, and it's it's a beautiful day. Don't let it get away. Um, and then all of the what it, I'm just not a musician. Is it the bridge, whatever that that portion of the song where he's like, see the world in green and blue. Yeah, it's just kind of rehearsing that. Going back uh, this morning, having that run through my mind. It's just so beautiful. It's like yeah. just these random images of beauty. And desolation, you know, see the world in green and blue, see China right in front of you, see the canyons broken by clouds, see the tuna fleets clearing the sea out. <laughs> I mean, uh, and yeah. then the final image um, after the flood, all the colors came out. Yeah. It's like, again, following judgment, there's hope. Yeah. There's promise. Like, I just love that line after the flood, all the colors came out. It's just so beautiful. I, I think that those lines are some of the most amazing that they've done. Oh yeah. And, and again, it's not sentimental. I mean, it's just, it's not sentiment, but hope is not, I mean, Willie Jennings says this great theologian, Willie Jennings, uh, hope is not a sentiment. It's a discipline. Oh, which I mean, hope is a way of seeing the world mm-hmm. for what it really is and not flinching from, speaking the truth about it in its gritty reality. Yeah. Um, but hope is recognizing that there's another logic also at work. Yeah. No, I like that a lot because one doesn't dismiss the other. It's a, yeah. 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 A lot of those wake up dead man is always the one that's the, the track that's the album closer for pop and pop itself. Like you said, it's just there, there's such good, um, they wear such good masks or the, or the way they put like when pop was presented, like it was this like huge, you know, comment on consumerism. Yeah. And they did like their press conference and tour announcement from Kmart and like, (laughs) you know, we're just over the top. And so much so that a lot of it was lost on the general audience where they're like, what the, did you two sell out? Or I'm I'm not sure. I can't like, your, (laughs) your satire is too thick. Yeah, but totally. um, when you listen to the songs on that record, mm. there it's it's not. I mean, it's not that at all. And there's totally. there's some really just intense. I so I think we talked a little bit in the last episode on like obviously our journey with the band and how certain albums and records kind of shape that time, mm. like time periods of our life and whatever. And um, this that album pop was huge for me because it was my senior year of high school or so hmm. and it was the first time i saw them on con like on tour and uh wake up dead man has like it latched on and has mm-hmm. stayed top five for the last 20 uh, wherever we're at 23 years or whatever yeah like that song has just hung on to me and i listen That's to really it cool. all the time yeah and there's because there are certain things like the second verse gotta go on the playlist yep well, we'll do we'll do this into Beautiful Day. Oh, and you've got to. So those That's two awesome. songs like go one into the other. Oh, so but good. Jesus, I'm waiting here, boss. I know you're looking out for us, but maybe your hands aren't free. 
your father yeah. made the world in seven. He's in charge of heaven. We put in a word for me. Like, oh. Isn't that not lament in a, like a totally. straight up like, hey, where are you? Totally. Uh, crying out, you know, hey, I, I'm waiting here. And there's, yeah. a, there's a timidness to this one where I'm waiting here. I know you're looking out for us, but maybe, you know, your hands aren't free. But yeah. if you could, you know, put in a good word. I know. I thought of that. I think this is Christopher Sharon's interpretation of that. It's like maybe you're still on the cross. Oh, like maybe you are, maybe you've not been raised from the dead. Maybe you've not conquered death. Maybe that's why everything's so bad. I mean, that's, that's really a, I think it's a, something of a shot. I mean, what, after he said that, I was like, Ooh, I don't know. Like that is really, I got goosebumps. Now I'm, now I'm but I think that's, <laughs> I think that's actually like capturing the logic of that Psalm though. It is blistering. Like, where are you God? Like yeah. rouse yourself. Like what? And so many of the other Psalms, like, are you, have you, are you on vacation? Yeah. You know, man. So now I'm going to tangent us again, but I was just, now that you said that now my gears are turning in a different direction. Yeah. <laughs> Cause that's actually, that's a really profound idea. Um, and I was telling you before we started recording that the last time I taught at a church, I, I taught on silent Saturday, which was the Saturday in between uh, good Friday and Easter. And I just, I'd felt like our last year of COVID and um, politics and everything was just this time period where a lot of us were just sitting here waiting and just being like, what, like what is happening? And just oh, yeah. feeling silence and how God uses silence um, in a bunch of different, you know, places in the Bible that are really interesting and how silence is often forced upon us and we have to choose into it. I think the line was like, choose, choose that, which you have not chosen. Hmm. And, um, the difference between a prisoner and a monk, like, uh, how a prisoner has silence forced upon them, but a monk chooses into silence Yeah, and isolation, I guess more, more specifically. But I, I was thinking, I was trying to, I was trying to personify that three day weekend (laughs) to call it that. (laughs) And the, 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 grandiosity of friday right like huh. uh curtains tearing earth totally. shaking dead yeah. rising up oh and yeah like, and so. like you know if you're on the walk with the disciples it culminates there this climax and it's really climactic and yeah. and then they wake up saturday if they slept and it's just silent and he's not there yeah and what is that what is that day mean and embody like i'm i'm more I, you know i've always joked that i'm a i'm a whatever the opposite of a christmas and easter christian is those are the days yeah. i do not go to church yeah and i'm really fascinated by this idea of the day between friday and sunday huh because i just I, there's something there that yeah uh you know you have the grandiosity of the crucifixion you have this grandiosity of the resurrection yeah and the fulfillment of that. But in the middle there, there is this like, where are you? Yeah. And what's going on? And mystery. We're, we're like, are, are, are we terrified on Saturday morning when, uh, it looks like death has won and, uh, those that sought death have won. Like what, what's the mentality that morning and what's the fear? Yeah. What is the grief and the hope and how those things marry each other? I feel like there's a really interesting lesson that I'm still trying to kind of crack out of that of like, there's a good example for what it means to be human somewhere in there. And I'm not sure exactly what it is, but when you just said that, I was just like, Oh yeah. Like, is that song looking at the cross or right after the cross or like, wake up, like come out of the tomb. We're just like, we're waiting. Yeah. Seriously. Hello. What's the last verse, Jesus? Were you just around the corner? Did you think to try and warn her? Or are you working yeah. on something new? Is there an order in all of this disorder? Is it like a tape recorder? Can we rewind it just once more? Yeah, Oof. totally. Oh, I'm going to have to think yeah. about this for a while. <laughs> well, in the quiet, in the silence, in the not hearing from, like all these questions are like, well, what's the deal? Yeah. Like, d- d- did you see what happened? Yeah. I mean, are you, yeah, I mean, all these questions and they're all valid. And the yeah. psalmists ask all of them, yeah. which is why Wake Up Dead Man is such a profound performance of that psalm. Yeah. It's just perfect. Yeah. It's absolutely perfect. But that's, I mean, that's gritty. 
that's gritty stuff. And I was yeah. thinking about the grittiness of that whole album is like all the techno, you know, searching for baby Jesus under the trash. Good I Lord. mean, it's like, yeah. uh, yeah, it's just absolutely genius. And what I love, <clears throat> the, what I love <laughs> about the gospel grammar is that pop is part of the gospel grammar. Hmm. <clears throat> it's not like, um, okay, leave that behind. Now move on to the, you know, the gospel is all about, you know, sunshine, roses and puppies or whatever. It's like, that's part of it. That's part of the whole thing because beautiful day and um, the, the whole album, all that you can't leave behind. There still is mystery on that album. And there still is a full recognition of the grittiness of life on that album. Yeah. I mean, even if you think about the bookends, uh, that that hold together all that you can't leave behind. Beautiful day and grace at the end. Um, grace, I just those are yeah. I keep every time I consider some of their lyrics, I'm like those are the most amazing. They <laughs> they just floor me though because it's like, um, and it's it's playful at first. Like grace, mm-hmm. um, yeah. It could be the name for a girl. Mm-hmm. It's also a thought that changed the world. Yeah. And then it's so, what I love about how he ponders grace, it's like grace is, is, um, is actually not this graceful, beautiful, um, you know, outwardly lovely. Mm-hmm. She's got, um, she goes to work. You know, when she goes to work, you can hear the strains and um, there's no, what does he say? Grace. There's Grace no finds goodness in everything. But when he says there's no oh. champagne flute for her lips. Oh, <sighs> she carries the world on her hips. Yep. No champagne flute for her lips. She twirls and skips. No twirls and skips between her fingertips. She carries, and this is the line. She carries a pearl in perfect condition. What once was hurt. What once was friction. What left a mark no longer stains. And I was like, oh, because I just love Because beauty that. out of ugly things. Yes. And it's like the whole image of a pearl, like this, this grain of sand, this irritant, this adjutant mm-hmm. that um, is at the heart of a pearl. And, you know, the oyster, I'm not, I'm going to exceed my pay grade here as far as zoology, <laughs> <laughs> the creation of a pearl. But at the heart of it is irritation and pain. And I just love that whole notion. She carries a pearl in perfect condition. Yeah. It's just, it's perfect because it's all about this dynamic that makes beauty out of ugly things. Yeah. Um, or what we have, what we have labeled as ugly yeah. also is an interesting like. Oh, totally. I, th- I think that you, like a lot of the conversations that we have, like you and I and, and Mike on whatever the theological topic is there's often this like underlying theme of like, I, I don't want to, so here, we'll use a song from that record. Also, <laughs> we don't, we don't plan these things out guys. We're just like, <laughs> we're spitballing. So you're, you're going along for the ride. Um, oh, the song about- before grace is when I look at the world. Oh yeah. So when you look at the world, what is it that you see? People find all kinds of things that bring them to their knees. I see an expression so clear and so true that changes the atmosphere when you walk to the room. So I try to be like you. I try to feel it like you do. But without you, it's no use. I can't see what you see when I look at the world, mm. which is just like maybe one of the feels like one of the more f- straightforward, uh, you know, as far as spirituality or whatever yeah. goes from Bono. It's like, hey, but when you think about that and the idea of how we label or how yeah. we have made things ugly that are not, yeah. it's become a preconditioned part of our understanding of the world. So what I was going to say with like, when we have conversations, I always think afterwards that there is this, um, like underlying theme that we're always trying to, to not see things the way that they were handed to us. Like, I want to see it the way you see it. Yeah. And so that, that prayer or that, uh, discipline of trying to see humanity. And this is what I think I was trying to say earlier is that I want to like, the messiness and what we have labeled as the ugliness and the grittiness and all that kind of stuff of humanity. I want to, I, I, I'm finding that stuff to be beautiful and I'm starting to really feel that God feels that way also. And so I'm trying to un, you know, we always joke about like the, 
in Empire Strikes Back when Luke wants to be a Jedi so bad and he just wants all the powers and the cool stuff and he goes to Dagobah and Yoda just gets frustrated. He's like, if you want this, you have to unlearn everything that you've learned yeah. because your framework for what you think it means to be a Jedi is, is broken and off. Yeah. So if you want to do this, you got to let go of all of that and relearn, be re-discipled. Totally. To see the Start world correctly. Yeah. Reset. And so I see that like when I look at the world going into grace and then you referenced um, Mofo from Pop. Yeah. Which starts with looking for to save my soul, looking in the places where no flowers grow, looking for to fill that God-shaped hole. And there is an idea of digging through the trash, mm-hmm. but that the what's beautiful is in there somewhere. yeah totally well this is the dynamic of grace yeah is the first uh the first three lines when, when he sings grace she takes the blame yeah she covers the shame removes the stain i mean it's just and what 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 also to me is so beautiful about that song is this like it's so long and it's so ponderous yeah and it's it it's not it's unhurried it's not rushed um i i love on a drive if when i'm on a long drive i love playing that whole album i mean and i love getting to that song and like just stopping myself like hey listen up pay attention and let this song do its work on you because it just it it just holds you Hmm. it it kind of has this long intro and then Bono's voice is so kind of close and simple. He's like, he's almost like talk singing, you know? Yeah. Um, and like I said, playful, um, because that's part of it at the very beginning. Grace, she takes the blame. She covers the stain, removes, or sorry, covers the shame, removes the stain. It could be her name. Hmm. It could be a name for a girl. But it's like, that's the dynamic that is actually at work in the world so that um, we're sort of starting to uncover the reality about things that there's not beauty and ugliness, but grace sort of invites everybody to participate in the center. People are not decentered yeah. when grace is operative. You know what I mean? It's heavy duty. That's, that's what I love. That's why when I was thinking about like songs that capture the grammar of the gospel. Like that's like, I think that song is at the, at the heart of it. Yeah. You know, and there's a lot of other stuff that kind of rides alongside and articulates in different ways, but grace is just absolutely at the heart. So break that down a little bit, like in like a English 101 definition, when you talk about the grammar of the gospel and maybe what the gospel is, like how, how does your brain, if you're to, to break that down to an entry level, what does that mean? Yeah. So grammar, like, um, there are sort of rules for how things work. So, um, like English grammar, uh, to some extent, to a large extent works by sequence. So if I said, uh, John hits the ball, um, John's a noun. Mm -hmm. And so is the ball, uh, or ball, but it's like, if you switched them around and, you know, what did I say? John hits the ball. If you said ball, the ball hits John. Mm-hmm. All right. The meaning has changed, yeah. you know, and it's like, okay, that those are the rules of English grammar. They work according to a sort of sequence, but, and, and we call that grammar or just logic, you know, the, the way things work. But it's like, if you learn Hebrew or German, probably some and other languages, probably, uh, and just, and Greek is like this in many ways as well. Um, you can, you can determine what the subject, um, and in the predicate, what the verb and the object are differently. So in English, you determine what the subject, John, the verb, hit, and the object, the ball, mm-hmm. that's determined by sequence. But in like Greek or, or in Hebrew or in German or other languages, sequence has nothing to do with it. It's it's determined by like case and what, what case the nouns are in. And very often, this is what's so hard about learning German and, and to some extent, um, well, other languages, the verb is at the very end. It's like you, you have to, all these nouns and adjectives and like <laughs> prepositions. And it's like well, the last word of the long sentence makes the whole thing make sense. That's a different grammar. 
So it's like, okay, now you got to put it together in a certain way. Well, German grammar is it is different than English grammar. That is to say the rules whereby German as a language works is different than how English as a language works. Yeah. So the thing about human logics of um, or human grammars of how we determine who has value, who matters, yeah. how does our how does our uh, subgroup work? Who's included? Who's excluded? Yeah. Um, how do I become part of this? How do I matter? Why do I matter? I mean, all these questions are really what you know religion is about, and you know religion and culture are very closely tied together. And in in uh, being Christian, Christian existence, um, all of those are tied together as well. the The point here is that the gospel has a grammar that is just as different from our inherited grammars as German grammar is from English grammar. (laughs) And the thing is, it's like, so how are people included or excluded? Who matters? Um, Who, who are the people I belong to? Um, Who are the people I should spend my time with? And um, you know, who has value, all those kind of things I was taught, um, you know, the people that are like me, the people that live in our neighborhood, the people who are also upper middle class white folks, that's who matters. That's who are our people. Yeah. We're, we're not them. So the them that we're suspicious of are the people that live down in that area of town. Um, the people that we don't spend time with uh, when, when there's this kind of person at the store, that that's a dangerous person. That's a person yeah. we, we okay, come on over here, son. We're going to stay away from that person. Yeah. So like all these lessons in just sort of, you know, training in a kind of a, a social grammar, they just, you, you inherit that and they shape the way that inevitably you think about being Christian. Yeah. It's just that. And when you think about being Christian, you sort of intuitively construct what you think the grammar of the gospel should be, Yeah, but you bring all of that inherited stuff with you. So, um, and the actual gospel grammar shows up and it's never like you think it is Hmm. it always it always brings you back to the start um it always um it always affirms and says yes to you and which is immediately thrilling and dignifying and then you look over and and you find out that the gospel has said yes to the person that you thought the gospel should say no to yeah you know and it's like, wait a minute, this just reconfigured the group that I'm part of. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the gospel is it's always scrambling all those all those social rules and all those kind of um accepted ways uh, of how it all should go. I don't know if that makes any sense. No, yeah. I think <clears throat> it's you know there there is this theme, and I think like I said, like in a lot of our conversations about like just stripping away all the ornaments on the tree that we inherited from our family to really see the way that the tree is supposed to look or so I don't know, you know, like to, yeah. you could use a thousand metaphors for yeah. what that looks like, but. Or when you put a cat in water and it's just all the fluff, just like, and you see what, that the thing is actually tiny. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> sorry man yeah. i'm thinking about my kids at home hoping they have enough food <laughs> just fluff balls oh totally. yeah no i think that's such an interesting and you do see that you you see and i think that's one of the things that grief does is it causes you to oh, stop yeah. and question like yeah you know when things are going so great or you are you're in a state of gosh i don't know if you've if you have HBO Max, but you can watch. There's a documentary on Woodstock '99. Oh yeah, heard about it. I haven't seen it yet. Holy moly! And it's a fascinating study in <laughs> what happens to an entire culture of angry white, uh, young white men who don't have actually have something to be angry about. Oh wow! So they try to manifest anger, Sheesh. and how that plays itself out. Not um, good. No, it's a tra- It's a the documentary is a tragedy. But the um, and so if you guys haven't seen it, you should watch it. It's a very interesting study in um, the Limp Biscuit era of music. Wow, <laughs> but, um, grief does cause you to stop, you know, often on your knees and and sort through 
like stripping the varnish off or maybe the varnish oh, yeah. has been stripped it because clarifies of whatever. what matters yeah it's clarifying <clears throat> it exposes yeah so that's really interesting in context of what you're talking about that um and they, and obviously so then the tandem there is that grief enabling things to be clarified and enabling you to see clearly um well of course that would hope would be what follows through right yeah. like uh, if you're able to finally see through the filth or whatever, you know, yeah. that idea that, that the, the, the sunrise that's coming after that, of course it would, of course yeah. it does. Yeah. You didn't think like the sun was going to rise, but of course it does. Totally. So it's a really totally. interesting, I mean, I think that's very, that makes a lot of sense. And yeah. I don't know. Yeah. There's a, well, it makes sense also while you're mentioning that it's like, that makes sense of stuck in a moment. Yep. It's like, Hey, get yourself together. It's actually not slapping a person across the face. It's like, Hey, come on. Yeah. Get a grip. Like this actually, here's how this goes. And it, the moment is going to pass. You're going to be okay. You have what it takes to make it through this moment and the next mm -hmm. one and the next one, and you're going to be okay. Right now you're stuck in this moment and you can't get out of it. Yeah. Um, but it'll pass. This is, this is the darkness. Like in the song Yahweh, you know, it's always dark before the dawn. Mm -hmm. There's always pain before the baby's born. Yeah. And it's like this, this moment's tough. There's no yeah. denying that, but uh, let's not get stuck here. I like the, in, in, um, stuck in a moment, he says, what is it? I'm just trying to find a decent melody, a song oh, yeah. that I can sing my own company. Yes. There's something with that. Cause I, you know, in my English classes, and I may have said, I think I probably said this in the last episode too, but, um, when I'm trying to teach them how to create a compelling argument, I'll talk to them about melody and harmony and discord because, uh, a, because I'm a musician and I understand that well. So it's a metaphor that works well for me, but you know, the idea of harmony being waves that move together hmm. and that you can be the most musically illiterate person on the planet. Like you, you don't understand music. You can't sing a tune, but all of our ears are capable of hearing harmony. Mm -hmm. And then when two notes, hit each other and it's off key you get discord and all of our ears are also are are we're built to yeah to be to react to discord so yeah. if someone gets up on stage and they play the wrong chord everybody would be like oh that wasn't oh, yeah. right and totally. or sings off key everybody just like ah and you don't have to know anything about music to know what discord is right and to know what harmony is and i think that's such an like a you know being a four maybe is why but I like those are the kind of things that when I think about humanity and I think about God's creation and stuff, I just think is so awesome. Like yeah. we're built for melody. So yeah. trying to find like Ugh. being stuck in a moment, but trying to find a decent melody yeah. a song that I can sing. Yeah. Like looking for hope, looking forward. And that is such a, a beautiful sentiment. Yeah. And very tangible in like a, a visual kind of way. Yeah. You can see totally. someone like stuck in a closet or something, but looking to try to find a decent melody. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, he just wants to sing. Just want to. I just want to be free. Music, art, beauty, truth, yeah. love. It's like just casting about for um, to live as to live as a liberated human. That's what I, it's all about. I'm so curious. I have no idea what it'll look like um, being in the presence of God, or what even that even means. But I'm so curious as to as to what God. I feel like there's certain elements of music or art that humans create and god just like oh man that was pretty cool like <laughs> you know what i mean or it's just like people hit a, something transcendent and i feel like there must be some element of god that is so i'm I, I is inspired or something like that's just like dang dude humans are <laughs> capable of some pretty yeah. cool things from time to time yeah that's a really interesting question <laughs> or just to think about that yeah. just because i think it's like um i mean from a biblical perspective it's like humanity is ever and always and only in god's presence and mm -hmm. like god's presence pervades everything and we're all invited into the richness of our humanity and like true behavior in god's presence is means pursuing beauty yeah you know and it's like when what what it looks like, what, what God's delight looks like, <clears throat> excuse me, is when a chord is struck and it just resonates deeply. Yeah. That's what, that's it. 
you know, and it's, I mean, you know, you and I know what it's like for, for a variety of good genres, you know, in our culture, just think about the cultures around the world. I mean, when, when notes are struck, when a poem is read, mm. when a story is told and it moves people and it, it lifts people or, um, it captures their lament in the perfect way so that they're fully able to enter into it. Yeah. I mean, that's the stuff that moves God in those moments. And, and when people are moved, that's what it looks like that God is moved because yeah, of the, I love it. the joining of God in humanity. I love it. It's good stuff. Cool, man. Uh, so you and I had been talking about maybe three episodes, maybe two yeah, yeah, and we don't really have much to talk about, so maybe just two. Yeah. No, I don't know. I think there's probably more to I think there's more to be said. Yeah. I know I've got some more stuff to talk about. Um, especially even according to or about this topic about the grammar of the gospel, although I think there's a few other things that we've kind of left on the table. So maybe yeah. we'll have to kick it around again. We'll have to pop back in. Dude. All pun intended. <laughs> the whole of the pun was well, intended. if you guys if you made it this far. If you made it past the first episode and were interested in two people just talking about U2 and <laughs> theology, and then yeah. you made it to the end of a second episode, we will, we're will we going to have a Spotify playlist that I'll, I'll put in the show notes that you can link off of that will have songs that we're, we've been talking about and stuff so you can kind of soundtrack it and hear, rather just hear us talk about it, you can actually listen to the art itself experience that kind of stuff i imagine a lot of people i don't know but literally a lot of you have not literally listened to tens of, of people tens of you are tuning in <laughs> i've been you tenor in for a treat <laughs> oh i love it yeah so we'll be back we'll be back with another another rundown of of picking at some of this stuff i love it i was just reading that article so that you referenced with uh eugene peterson and um you know there are also those I, I would I would like to say really great conversations that I think Fuller did with Eugene Peterson oh, yeah. and Bono sitting down, but I felt like they I felt like they were more like trailers than I feel like there was so much yeah. more talked about oh, yeah. that, and I was like, this is what you picked to because I, I was like I I sat down with like a bowl of popcorn and I was ready yeah. to like I know Eugene Peterson's one of those people that just talks and I you know. just have to sit there and hang <laughs> on every word that he says because you just like. <laughs> He's a fantastic man, but, um, I don't know. There's so much. Yeah. Like you just said, there's so much more to dig at. So we'll keep, we'll do it. We'll kick it again. Sweet. Cool, man. All right. So that concludes episode two. We'll have one more episode on the topic of U2 and theology. One more deep dig into the lyrical content and the theological narratives. If you've made it this far, thank you. Thanks for wandering with us as we go. I'll close with the blessing from the patron saint, Black Francis, once again. If man is five and the devil is six, then God is seven. Till next time, folks. 